Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. And today we're talking about the secret life of secrets with Professor Michael Slapian, who has done so much research on secrets and how our inner worlds shape our well-being, our relationships, and who we are. So Michael studies the psychology of secrets and how keeping secrets affects all of these variables that govern our social and organizational lives. Everybody keeps secrets. So what we're talking about today is how we can raise our kids to have a healthy relationship with their inner lives and how they can trust us as their confidants and also find healthy other relationships as confidants, what's appropriate for us to model, what's appropriate for us to share. We're unpacking the differences between secrets, lies, bragging, oversharing, privacy, all that good stuff in the hopes of really helping all of us understand how to have a healthier relationship with what goes on in our minds and how we connect with other people. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a review. It's so helpful. And if you write a review and take a screenshot of this review and send me a DM on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. I'm going to pick five people to get a Raising Good Humans cozy sweatshirt. All you have to do is write a review in Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot, and send me a DM with this screenshot. I make a big deal about these reviews because every single review that you write feels really awesome and also helps elevate the podcast and get more of the word out. So it's super helpful to me and I really appreciate it. Don't forget, you can subscribe to draliza.bulletin.com for more in-depth articles and interactions with Raising Good Humans podcast. So I guess define for us, what is a secret? I define secrecy as an intention to hold information back from one or more people. So not everything about you that people don't know uh, is necessarily a secret. What distinguishes a secret from other things people don't know about you is this intention to keep it that way, to, to withhold information from one or more people. So are all secrets bad? This question <laughs> had, not yet, had not yet been asked when I started this program of research. And the reason is that when people first started studying this idea, they imagined a very specific situation as representing uh, what secrecy looks like. And that is one person in a room concealing something from another person. And so studies would sort of create these situations in the lab and look at the effects of, of doing so. Two problems. One problem with that approach is it's studying a very specific sort of artificially constructed secret, which might not relate to the real world. And the second problem is you're looking at only one secret. And so you actually can't answer the question of which secrets are bad and why if you only look at one secret in a study. You have to look at multiple secrets to get an answer to that question. And so that's what I started doing when I first started conducting this research, looking at what are all the secrets that people commonly keep. And among these secrets we commonly keep, which ones are related to, to lower well-being and why? So the reason that I asked that, obviously, is to get you to, <laughs> to prompt you to get it, because it's so fascinating. 
Can you kind of explain in general what those first findings were? And then I kind of want to pull apart how we can acknowledge the the parts of secrets or the kinds of secrecy that is good for well-being and appropriate and the kind that is harmful so that we can mm-hmm. then go through how that's something that we can use to communicate best with our kids about secrets and secrecy. Yep. Because I do think there's just this incredible, which I know that you will get into in a much more articulate way, but there's such an incredible potential life-changing skill set to help normalize certain inside of our mind secrets and also how to let go of the shame of, you know, the harmful secrecy. If we can raise our kids to, to see that we let go of that, that the power of naming things and communication, it just feels like everybody would be in such a better psychologically healthy place. Yeah. So that is a good segue to answering your question, which is, you know, the old idea here of why secrecy is harmful to our health and well-being is because that moment when you're in a conversation and you're choosing your words carefully and you're dodging questions or, you know, maybe even saying something not exactly true to help conceal your secret, that that moment of hiding the secret in conversation is, is stressful. And that over time, that is why our secrets are sort of wear away at our well-being. It turns out, though, that the that experience is not why our secrets harm us. It's actually quite rare we get asked about our secrets in daily life. You know, you don't often go around asking people these extremely sensitive questions. So for most of our secrets, they're fairly easy to keep secret in conversation. But what people, because people are prepared for when they might come up in conversation, but what they're not prepared for is all the time that their mind can return to the secret outside of those moments um, where they're actually actively concealing it. And it turns out that most of the time, a secret is on our mind. We're simply just in our own thoughts. That's where we primarily have the secret on our mind. And, and that's often because we're trying to figure out what to do with it or it's bothering us. And it turns out it's not the more secrets we, it's not the secrets we conceal more in conversation that is related to lower well-being, it's the secrets our mind continues to return to. The more our mind wanders to our secret time and time again, that's those are the secrets that harm our well-being. So are these secrets kind of just internal, like ruminating? Essentially. And so if you've chosen to be alone with something that's really important or, or upsetting or bothersome, your mind's going to return to that because it, it's sort of the only place, the only venue you have to, to work through it if you're not talking about it with other people. And if you've chosen to be alone with something that's hard to deal with, you're not going to find the best way to, to deal with it on your own. It's really hard to find the, you know, the best way of thinking about this thing, the best way, you know, the best way forward. That usually comes in conversation with other people. And so it seems to be it, the hard part of having a secret is not that we have to hide it, but that I said, usually we have to live with it alone in our thoughts. So that burden is the the more harmful part of it. Exactly. So how can we decide who is, I guess this is a two-part question. The first is how do we decide who we can trust with our secrets? And then once we know there's somebody with whom we can trust, and then, you know, is it different depending on the kind of secret? And I guess what I'm ultimately getting at is what kinds of secrets can kids or teens and parents share where it's helpful? And what are the ones where, you know, we each, we want to teach our kids that there are certain things that we can honor about ourselves that are secrets but they're not necessary to share or who are they necessary to share with? And lastly, and I'll, you know, we can, these are, I have a gazillion questions, obviously, but I wonder, you know, how to help kids feel safe distinguishing between secrets that they should be keeping for others to honor others. And we haven't talked about that, so we can table it. But, you know, between that and like, the kind where if you don't disclose, it's harmful. So the first question of who we should be confiding our secrets in, we've looked at this question from the perspective of who gets mostly confided in with the idea being that we think people tend to choose their confidants carefully. And this may get to your second question, which is, does it depend on your secrets, what the secrets are about? And so who people tend to look for when confiding a secret in someone 
And what's great about confiding a secret is that you are talking about the secret with someone else, even though you're still keeping it a secret from the original person or the original people. And that is you're, you're talking about the secret with a third party. And the people that often get confided in are, are compassionate, people who are generally non-judgmental and caring and empathic, and also people who are assertive. And so it looks like when people are looking for confidants, they're not just looking for someone to be sort of emotionally supportive, but they're also looking for someone to push you to do something, someone who will push you along with this thing that you're struggling with. And so the third thing in trying to choose a confidant, so you want someone who you think will keep your secret safe, you know, you sort of trust it with them, you trust that they're going to be kind, even if they respond, you know, with some kind of disapproval, they'll do it with kindness and, and empathy, and someone who will actually help you find a way forward. Now, if the person you are thinking about telling the secret would be completely scandalized by what you're revealing, that's actually not a good situation. You're much better off revealing it to someone else because there's a possibility that when someone becomes morally outraged, we've seen in our research, when someone's morally outraged by a secret that's been confided to them, they're more likely to pass that secret on sort of as a form of punishment. So it's like, could they keep the secret? Yes. But if you're putting them in a position where it puts it, it calls into question their own morals and values, they're more likely to disclose your secret. Is that the problem, or is it right. just and it then puts them in a bad position? Yeah. So find someone with a similar set of morals and someone who you think will be somewhat helpful. The good news is that the average response to being confided in people do find helpful. Um, most confiding experiences go really well. People only have to offer a few words of support for you to feel like you're on your way to better coping, whether that's emotional support or just or even advice. People say they usually get something useful out of those experiences. And people also say who are confided in, they're glad that the person felt comfortable revealing something and it you know feels that it has brought the two people closer together. And, and so, so mm-hmm. what just as part of that, like if your secret is because according to your definition of secrets, there could be things that, for example, your adolescent feels that aren't like, you know, what we traditionally think of as a secret is not necessarily, it's a secret that I'm, you know, scared to go to this party. I don't know why I use that example. Or I'm, you know, it's a secret that, so there's a secret crush that feels so concrete. But what if it's like a secret feeling? Like, I I don't know that I'm allowed to feel this way. The confusion about what is going on inside of us, I guess. What what am I trying to say? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I think the most important thing to distinguish here and try to answer that question, and this is something that arrives with adolescence, is a sense of privacy. Having yes. something that you believe to be private is not the same as having a secret. And I think this really becomes very clear when kids start reaching their teenage years because all of a sudden there's this new idea there of having some kind of independent self, not completely enveloped in family life, some kind of autonomy, some kind of like sense of self aside from the the larger family environment. And privacy enters that at that point, you know, it, Teens will say the things that they consider private are, are things they believe sort of should be under their control, like personal taste. And that can include, you know, like who their friends are, you know, which people they're they're in contact with. And, you know, there's things like rules. And when when there's rules that teens don't like, they quickly come to realize that some of those rules can be broken without their parents learning about it. So secrecy is one way to avoid getting in trouble for something, right? And that's Mm -hmm. something children learn before their teenage years, and it's something adults know all too well, that when you do something wrong, you might try to keep it secret so you don't get punished. And focusing on children and teens only, when kids are really young, they can only get in so much trouble. And so the kind of things that they could do wrong are like, wetting the bed or, you know, wetting their pants, like they're, they're, they're very childhood sized indiscretions and, and keeping those secret doesn't seem to be a problem. 
But when teens, when people are in their teenage years, the nature of the secrets can sometimes include shame or worry or struggling with something and they're keeping that a secret. And when those secrets get kept, there are problems. And the problems are that there's an ongoing problem that's not being addressed and it can get worse. And so it's not secrecy isn't where the problem begins for those kinds of secrets. It's but secrecy compounds the problems that are being kept secret. And so for the teenager who's trying to decide what should I reveal to my parents, you really want them to reveal, you know, privacy, you can just understand that there's going to be some sort of separation there, but you do want them to reveal any kind of struggle that they're having so that you can help. And now we're going to take a little break so I can share with you some of my sponsors. I pretty much am always wearing glasses. I basically can't see very much without them and I don't even have contact lenses. So I have to change my glasses up all the time and just make it a part of my look. Para eyewear makes it so easy and fun to have a whole mashup of eyewear. Para eyewear's base frame and magnetic top frame combination makes it so easy to switch up your style. And the base frames are totally reasonable. They just start at $60, which includes prescription lenses. And they have hundreds of designs to match whatever base frame you choose. So get started by choosing your base frame with options from the square to the cat eye. And every frame, you can get six different colorways, including classic black to the remixed blue tortoise. And then just pick your top frames and build a collection to match your personality. And the best part is that for every Pair purchase. Pair provides glasses and vision care for children around the world. So you can feel great about what glasses you're wearing and giving back at the same time. So get glasses as unique as you are, one pair infinite style. Starting at just $60, go to pareyewear.com slash humans for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at pairyewear.com slash humans. We know that we want to set our kids up at the earliest ages with healthy eating habits. And we also know that things get super busy. So finding a healthy and nutritious food on the go can be a challenge. Fruit bars are awesome, but very sugary. And that's why That's It bars are so awesome because it's just fruit. It's one ingredient, actual 100% real fruit. So for example, they're apple mango bars, which we love in this house. That bar contains a whole apple and a whole mango, and that's it. And they have tons of vitamins and nutrients, yes, and they're also just in reality an on-the-go, easy thing to take with you. And kids feel like they're kind of an exciting treat instead of, you know, just a piece of fruit, although that's incredibly healthy and very important too. I'm just trying to be realistic here. So head over to That's It Fruits dot com slash raising good humans and use the code humans to get 20% off your order. That's it is giving raising good humans listeners this special discount. So if you're looking to try these fruit bars for you and your family, just head over to that's it fruit.com slash raising good humans and use the code humans to get 20% off your order. That's it fruit.com slash raising good humans and use the code humans. You know, it's funny. I I just was remembering back to my now my 15-year-old back, I don't know, she was probably 5 or 6. She did something. I kind of I can't even remember what it was, but it was something to do with, you know, she was allowed to play a particular game, but it had to be on a on a certain setting. And it took a couple of years. A couple of years later, she said to me, "I I kept a secret from you and it's just been weighing on me. And she admitted that she had, you know, used this, you know, the setting that I had forbidden on the <laughs> Minecraft or whatever it was. And she was just so relieved to tell me. But what I was tr- struggling with as you were talking about this and when I was reading your work was, and I know you'll go into this and you go into it beautifully, but how to distinguish between secrets and lies. 
So a lie, you can lie to keep a secret, but there's plenty of ways to keep a secret that don't involve lying. But, you know, it's a way you could choose to keep a secret. And then going in the other direction, there could be a lie that you've told that you feel like you're keeping secret. And this is kind of like the example you just shared, where it's like, I had changed the setting and I I made it seem like I didn't. And this is what I've been keeping secret for all this time. But importantly, they're two different things. And where the clear difference is, is not, you know, we keep secrets all the time that don't involve us telling lies. So that's another thing to unburden the secret keeper about is, you know, at what point is it also thinking about, it's not just distinguishing harm for yourself, but harm for others. Right. And so this is when it becomes really relevant about not just the secrets that kids are keeping that are their own secrets, but the instance of somebody asking them to keep a secret, that's when things can go, you know, really, really poorly, where things can get really bad. And that's, you know, I think a good lesson there is if if you learn about a secret that involves somebody else being harmed, like that's where you really need to tell a, a parent that or somebody you trust because, you know, that's having secrecy in that kind of situation, hiding a problem like that certainly will make things worse. You know, you can think of so many examples of uh, a kid who finds out a secret that may or may not be harmful. So they want to disclose the secret. You know, it's easier when they're younger because they feel sort of more compelled. But as they move into adolescence, like telling their friend's secret when it may be protective, but it may be just a betrayal. And the, you know, how much you honor their secrets so that you can continue to have that kind of relationship and where you draw the line openly with them so that they know that if there is harm, it will have to be revealed. And what do they, you know, are there ways that you can kind of teach? Like, is it good? I guess this is leading me to, is it a good thing to be a confidant? Like, are there times when you can help for ourselves too, but like, it's great to be a confidant in in, in important relationships, but are there times when it's hard to be a confidant and like explaining that to our kids as they're growing up or seeing those experiences in adults, are there times when you kind of can express, sometimes you don't want to be the confidant, like you're not the right person for this particular conversation. We do see in our research with adults that people will describe the experience of being confided in as an act of intimacy, you know, that brings people closer together and they feel good that you felt comfortable enough to reveal this thing, that you trusted them with this information. But on the other side, people can also feel now that the secret creates a burden for them. And we see, especially to the extent that two people have overlapping social networks, people will say it's even more burdensome. So if you know have you have all the same friends in common, it's it's really difficult to like have be let in on in a secret about you know one of those people. And so, if confiding a secret in someone entangles them into the problem in a really unhelpful way for that person, if that would just make life really complicated for that person, you would be doing them a favor if there was someone else you felt comfortable discussing the secret with. And to the first part of your question, you know, when is it right to confide a secret? Maybe it's about someone else to someone, you know, when is it time to come forward? That's a question that isn't unique to childhood. You know, adults will also struggle with when do I come forward about this thing, um, whatever it is. And it's hard to decide when (laughs) or if, you know, the classic example for for adults is infidelity. Is that something you should reveal even if it could damage the relationship? Would they want to know? And so my advice in that situation is always ask a third party. Like that question is way too complicated to figure out on your own. And you should be talking to someone you trust about it because it's just, it's too consequential a decision to, to make on your own from your one limited perspective. And I think that goes to to kids too. If they're, if they're struggling with whether to decide to reveal something, if I could just like broadcast this advice to them, I would say, 
talk to someone and see what they think. That's such simple advice and it's such a good point. So what about those secrets? I can think of two times in my life where I'm sure I've done it tons of times, but I can think of two distinct times that come into my mind once in a while of people who I wasn't particularly close with, but they were in the right place at the right time and had those qualities that you mentioned of a good confidant because they were non-judgmental and compassionate and assertive and, and welcoming. And I was obviously in a moment where I wanted an ear. And sometimes I think about that I revealed to in those two moments, two separate secrets, what I perceived as secrets at the time. And I am not in touch with those people. I, I, there was no falling out of touch. It was just sort of like life goes on and you get mm-hmm. older and family and work and whatever. But sometimes I think back and I think, how weird is it that there are a couple people out there who know more intimate things about me than almost any of the people in my life that I'm close with? And is that a typical experience? Or is that something you're supposed to say, hmm, I, I should unburden myself of that? The first half of what you said, and it relates to what we were just talking about, this sort of this moment of, I just I just had this idea that I could share this thing right now with this person. Even that like fleeting notion of sort of confidence and courage and like, here's here's my chance. I definitely know that experience. And, and I think when people have a secret that they're really hoping to not be entirely alone with, which is probably, you know, many of our secrets. It's just that that latent desire to not be alone with this information and thinking, oh, one day maybe I can talk about it when I just find the right situation. For the most part, it it never comes. Like if you're just waiting for that perfect moment to reveal a secret, <laughs> it, it happens so infrequently that it's like a story of a thing that happened to me once or, you know, twice in my life and in conversations. But I know this experience where, where all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to do it, that you do it. And you're like, sometimes you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But again, the the lesson I, I think from, from these experiences, it's kind of rare for that moment to come. And so you really shouldn't just keep waiting um, for that perfect moment because it's really unlikely to ever come. And you often have to make that situation for yourself. The, the sort of the doors for these like kinds of confessions are not already open. We have to open that door and then do it. And is there, I mean, this is such fascinating stuff because I have more opportunities, I would say, than most people to engage in conversations that are very confidential. And I never, I never am tempted to betray a confidence because it's in my professional, it's just a training, right? So I'm not even sure. I think there's, that's a muscle that you can exercise because it's much easier for me to keep anybody's secrets, even if it's not in the context of work. And I always wonder, is that just because I've had to exercise that muscle so much? Or did I go into this line of work because I'm more comfortable with other people's inner thoughts and feelings? And I just wonder if it's even a skill set. Like that's a whole separate thing about secrecy because it's so intertwined with things that we come up with that are kind of negative, but so much of the secrets that are sort of disclosed to me are are so much lighter in orientation than the person who's giving me the secrets feels because they only have their own experience, whereas I've heard from so many other people the same thing. And so part of me is just wondering like how much of this is normalizing that we all have inner thoughts and feelings that are not necessarily something we would feel proud and excited to share with the world, but that's not because we're a freak. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It, we all have these things that we like look back on and just feel really bad about for whatever it is. And the research shows if you talk about that with someone you trust, they will not evaluate it as negatively as you would think. People are more charitable about us than than we expect. The people who are really close to us are not just going to turn their impression of us upside down based on learning this one new thing, even if it's surprising. We, you know, maybe with a stranger, we're quick to take one piece, one piece of new information and to run with it. But 
when we know someone, it's sort of one more drop in the bucket. And people are kinder than than you would anticipate. And you can have really interestingly productive conversations if you can get this thing onto the table. They might require some courage, but people who've been there report that they're glad that they did it. Okay. So are there things that you can practice just if you're like in this world where you want to model for and be available for your family to confide in you? Again, not in the invasion of privacy way, but really in the unburdening way. Are there, are there things that you could explicitly say or explicitly model for your kids and your teens so that they get more comfortable with these conversations or with this kind of courage? Yes. And there's, there's two important things here. The first is when someone reveals something to you or, you know, when your child reveals something to you that makes you angry or want to express displeasure, disapproval. Those things can be communicated, but what you don't want to do is have an angry outburst or just do something that will make them think, I never want to do this again. When mm-hmm. people respond super negatively, even if that's how they feel it, the, the problem is it's sort of, it could be potentially discouraging of the child from confessing next time. And so as hard as it can be in the moment to not respond with extreme disapproval or extreme anger, as hard as it can be to sort of do something closer to acceptance and, and understanding and say, I, I I don't believe you did the right thing here, but I'm glad that you felt comfortable talking to me. And I think that was the right thing to do. I can help you with this, whatever it is, making them feel comfortable opening up is so incredibly important. And that means responding to disclosures calmly and not in a way that makes them less likely to do it again in the future. And then the second important issue is to recognize that you, how you cope with things, your children can observe this. Like you're modeling your coping skills to them. And so if you're someone who has trouble managing emotions. If you're someone who doesn't come to others for help and and bottles things up inside, it's potential that your your children can sort of recognize that that method of coping. When parents have poor coping skills, teenagers are more likely to develop secrecy and rumination for like for the reason that, you know, you've come to dis- learn that the way you should deal with problems is is not talk about them. That's going to be related to secrecy. And it turns out if you're not talking about problems that are ongoing, that's related to to rumination. And so you want to really sort of make it clear that they can tell you something, even if it's a difficult thing to to share, that you'll support them, you know, whatever it is, and uh, that you also model working through negative experiences so that they know talking about it is, is part of how we deal with things. Okay, it's definitely spring, and it just feels like it's time to update the wardrobe. So, Clarity makes it really easy because they make clothes great for all seasons, but lots of good spring stuff to update your wardrobe. And it's a family-run brand, so it feels really good and homey. And it's the kind of effortless style you want every time you go digging in your closet. You want to just throw on a Caftan, they've got it. Maybe you just want to have a pretty button-down shirt, they've got it. You get that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had them for years. It's not trendy. It's just classic easy. It looks like it might even be vintage, but it fits really well. And it was made just yesterday. And Faraday is so confident about the quality of their stuff. They have a lifetime guarantee. So they will replace or fix your clothes forever no matter what. I've actually never heard of that before. It's so cool. And it really does make it easier to make a purchase and feel good about it. And right now, Verity is giving Raising Good Humans listeners 20% off. So go do some spring shopping and get your 20% off at veritybrand.com slash humans and use the code humans at checkout. Get 20% off for all your new spring staples with the code human at F-A-H-E-R-U-I brand.com slash humans. Veritybrand.com slash humans. 
do you want to plant a vegetable garden or fly a kite to just celebrate this beautiful new weather? You can, and you can certainly just do it on your own. But when you're exhausted and when you really just want so much for these experiences to be possible, but not you put that time into pulling together all the ingredients, Kiwico delivers monthly cool projects that spark a love for all of these fun activities for kids of all ages. And if you want to make a kite and fly it, come on, are you really going to go out and <laughs> pull that together? Probably not, although more power to you if you are. But if it comes in a box, will you build it with your kids and go run and see it happen? I think you will. So cultivate your child's natural creativity and curiosity and your coolness by getting KiwiCrate. KiwiCo will do the legwork for you and then you can spend the quality time with your child tackling these projects together. Step into spring and celebrate the season of discovery with a KiwiCo subscription. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping at any crate line with code humans at kiwico.com. That's 30% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code humans. How can you model when there is something that is an appropriate secret for you and letting them know, I have a place to share this and to take care of, you know, what's going on for me, but it's just, it's a grown up thing. And it's not something we are not peers. And so I'm not going to talk about it with you so that you can at least be conscious, I guess, of, or, or speak consciously about adapting and being healthy and sharing, but also not becoming like, you know, getting into a situation where your confidant is your kid. This may be where, where me not being a parent is, is holding me back. No, that just think of it with a research hat and I'll, I can translate it if it doesn't seem to, to, to translate. But I think that everything that you're saying maps a lot to, you know, what's considered authoritarian parenting, for example, when you, on the other side of it, like if you are, if you respond to your children telling you their secrets with anger, they are much more likely to have covert behaviors. So I think that a lot of what you're saying is, regardless of the fact that you don't have kids, is very relevant to that parent-child relationship and parent-teen relationship. But I'm curious about it in the reverse. Yeah, and that's what I... <laughs> I'm trying to imagine this, situ this situation. I think what works in both directions is showing value for talking about the sort of mundane every day, you know, because a problem is, and this can easily happen at adolescence, some of the, some of that quest to be one's own person can sort of be taken in a direction that is really frustrating for a parent where, you know, they're not, they just kind of like go to their room and they're like not chatting with their, their parents and telling them, you know, about their life where, you know, the teen's drawn too large a circle or, or too large a privacy sphere than what parents would want. And I think that happens when you're not asking questions, like, tell me about your day. And like it, having this sort of baseline mutual disclosure of small stuff can create comfort in revealing the big stuff when it's appropriate to do so. And maybe sometimes that you're not, the parent's not the right person to get confided in and they, they should talk to their friend. And there's, of course, are times when the child is the wrong person to confide in and the adult should tell another adult. I think people probably have a better, an easier time finding the right place to draw the line if they have this baseline connection that involves disclosure of small things. Mm. I think that's a great non-parent advice <laughs> because it it's so true for so many things, but you're right. The disclosure of small things and kind of, it's about exercising those muscles in a way and 
feeling, getting a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. And also experiencing that sense of relief that we all get, even with small disclosures. And I know you've looked at that as well, right? Like how we respond to the the experience of disclosing. Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, right. We we feel very touched when people feel comfortable disclosing with us and when, when people come to us for help. And that's really the most important distinction here. It's sort of the secrets you should keep versus the ones you should reveal is if you feel like you need some help, revealing is the right choice. It's just a matter of figuring out to who. And I guess that's the last thing that I want to check in about. And I, I really love just keep continuing going back to making the choice to share a secret is is easy to distinguish when when you ask yourself, is this something I need help with? And practicing with small things will make that easier. I guess I wonder what happens when we distinguish like who we're sharing something with do we just learn over time as human beings which category a secret falls into and which kind of person in our lives can handle that particular conversation whether it's yeah this is this is good for my spouse versus this is good for my best friend and did you do you find like what are the most common secrets we keep or share with the different close people in our lives and the kind of your most interesting findings? We've hit the frontier here. This is now an area of research that is on the list. There hasn't been any study of that yet, but it's been on our minds to one day study it. I I think you're right that people choose people based on what the secret is about, at least at the most broadest sense for what from what we were talking about before, where I think people understand if you were if you're going to scandalize someone with an admission, maybe that's not the right person to choose. But I do think people might go to, you know, a specific person when it's, you know, secrets about X, it's secrets about Y, like they go to the other person, you know, who would be who would have good advice in that domain or who would sort of understand this situation. I I can think of a situation where I'd be struggling with something and I would feel like I would talk to my friends about that rather than with my parents because like my friends would sort of understand the situation better just being just their own lived experience makes more sense for that particular situation. And so I do think people choose their confidants in, in this manner. It would be interesting to learn, you know, the actual how the actual specific relationships, you know, which categories of secrets get revealed to who or which um, dimensions of secrets distinguish who we reveal to. But yeah, we don't, we don't know yet. But if you want to make a good confidant to your partner or your child, you would say like practice being compassionate and kind and open and non-judgmental and also someone with whom you could bounce the ideas off of and be assertive about how to support them moving forward. That's exactly right. I feel like that's really helpful just to to sort of have an understanding of what makes you best equipped to be a supportive person in someone's life because I essentially think, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think the reason we have the amount of insight we have into these things as we do, the reason why we have sometimes little insight into these processes is just for the very nature of what we're talking about. People get really practiced at not talking about secrets and the idea of actually talking about them can be so threatening if if that's become your, your habit. But because we tend to not talk about them, our understanding of them can be hazy and sort of what's the right thing to do with them. But that's where you can just talk to a third party and and clarity will come. Clarity comes from talking about them with a third party. And okay, so what are some of the juiciest of your 38 categories of secrets that you just if, if t- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for talking juicy, it's not going to be um the kinds of things kids are keeping secret. <laughs> now I'm kind of like this is like icing, so 
put taking your parent hat off and putting on your just I'm a person in the world who's, you know, curious or interested in the secrets we keep, the kinds of secrets we keep as adults. And I think anybody would be interested regardless of their parenting status. What are some of the ones that you found are that, I mean, because we can't go through all 38, but what are kind of the most interesting themes that you've come across and surprising findings? One of the more surprising ones. So the most common few secrets that people keep and are going to be things that make sense. Telling a lie and keeping, you know, that a secret that you haven't told the truth about some matter. Romantic desire is a common, like while single, is a common secret. Um, money, sex. But one of the really interesting, very common secrets is what we call extra relational thoughts. And this is you're in a relationship and you have some kind of romantic thought about someone who is not your partner. And people feel like that is a secret. It's of the secrets we keep. It's the one we discuss the least with other people. And in some ways, it's like, yeah, well, it's just a thought, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. But people will have this secret and and it'll feel like a secret. And I, I find that to be a fascinating one. Ambitions, another super interesting one, very common to secretly have, you know, these ambitions that we've never told anyone about. A lot of things about relationships, a lot of different kinds of discontent, family secrets. And the ones that are relationally oriented, how harmful, or I guess it's like, how how do you know which ones would be more helpful to get out? And is there is there anything important about normalizing those 38 kinds of secrets, typical secrets, like in finding out that so many people have those experiences, would it alleviate some of that burden? Would it give people more courage to share them? Or is that not the goal? No, I think that is the goal. And I think that is the case. I think because we don't talk about our secrets, they can feel so lonely and we may not realize how common of an experience what we're going through is, in fact, you know, all of these common categories of secrets, they're they're pretty common for folks to have at some point, at some point in their lives. Regular everyday experiences that people sometimes have their reasons for for keeping secret. I think we all probably have at least one secret that we would be better off without. And it's hard to get there if you don't spend some time thinking about these things and and what you could perhaps use help with and and who you could talk to. And are there baby steps you can take to practice the experience of sharing those secrets with with a confidant so that maybe you get a little positive reinforcement in that reveal and then you reveal a little bit more and more? Or do you think you reveal something that feels heavier and experience that relief and go from there? I would definitely say the first order would more fit with how people establish and deepen relationships. You know, you imagine like you're on a first date and like the talk starts out pretty light. And then at some point you're asking, you know, more pointed questions that have increased in intimacy. It would be really odd on a first date to start with those questions. Right. And I think the same thing goes for just regular conversations with friends or or whoever that you probably work your way up to it. And that'll make it easier to do so. So it might be helpful to help your, you know, as kids and teens kind of go through the experience of revealing themselves and making the wrong choice, because it probably takes practice to figure out when you're, when you've found the right confidant or who you can trust. What are the not I told you so moments that you can say as somebody's navigating the experience of building relationships with people and learning what's a- appropriate to disclose. And then I think a second part of that is what about family secrets? So you're trying to learn how to become best friends with people and close with people. You're a teenager, you're you're sharing things about your family, you're complaining, you're having intense conversations about your parents' divorce or whatever it is, your sibling conflict. Now there are family secrets that kind of create shame cycles. So I guess my question is kind of navigating that bumpy territory where 
I guess it's not your secret to reveal on the one hand. On the other hand, it is your secret to reveal because it's something that you have to hold on. It's the burden that you have to hold on to because your family's, you know, holding on to it and you don't really have a choice. So family secrets are also among the most common secrets that people have. And these things can range from, you know, small details or from outside observers' perspectives, small details to, you know, really, really big stuff to also really bad stuff too. And so certainly if this if we're in the bad stuff category, children need a way to reveal that information to someone. But if we're in this sort of juicy but not really bad category or, you know, complicated but not problematic behavior category, I think it's generally not a good situation to be asking your child to keep a secret on your behalf. I think that's such an important thing to highlight. So I really do want you to talk more about that because that happens so often and unpacking how harmful that might be is really worth it. And there's also, you can think of like grandparents who might say, don't tell like small moments where, you know, a grandparent or one, a co-parent says, don't tell your mother, don't tell your father about this or I'll get in trouble. And it seems harmless. It's like, I gave you an extra cookie or whatever, or it's really big. And, you know, whether or not it's important to just not ask that of kids at all, or if there's ever an appropriate time. I think if it's so occasional and so small and it's, you know, once in a while playful, I think you're making it clear that's the, that's the parameters that need to be involved for this kind of thing to be appropriate. When it's asking for something more than that, or when it's a really common request, for me, it feels like taking advantage of, you know, this like clear power structure where you can sort of just ask them to do anything and they have to say yes. That's kind of problematic, I think, in this context, because first of all, if it's to cover for harm, that allows the harm to persist. But even aside from that, you know, think when I think about the times, the very few times that I've told someone something and said, you have to also keep this secret on my behalf. Like that's a really, I don't do that lightly, right? Like, I don't do that very frequently. That's a, that's super rare. That that's unusual circumstances. I mean, you've thought very carefully about it. That's what's so different about when we do that with adults versus versus children. And it certainly sounds it certainly sends a signal, which is like one way to work through problems is just keeping them a secret. And that's really not what you want to model to anyone because it's actually a really bad way to work on a problem is, is to ignore it or to keep it secret. But that's kind of the lesson that you could be imparting when you're asking, when you're showing them that that's how you're dealing with it. It's also interesting because you can totally see some families confusing secrets and bragging, for example, or, you know, like don't, you don't want to share this with other people because it would be bragging, but it com- comes across as a, as a secret. Or I'm trying to think of other examples where you might innocently ask your child not to reveal something that's private or feels private, but comes across as shameful or secretive. And so I don't know why I'm thinking of like an example of, I guess, would you, I guess you'd explain yourself. You'd explain why you would make that ask and you have to have a good explanation even for yourself or you should just know it's a risk. Like every time you ask that of your kid, it makes a statement. I don't know why my mind's going to this random example, uh, but I'm imagining it's a situation where like, imagine that this family has a cleaner that comes once a week to, to clean the house. That's a great and, example. <laughs> and I can imagine the child like revealing that to another child whose family situation is, is so different that that would be a complicated thing to explain or that would be a situation where they're kind of essentially just a parent could imagine that it comes off in the wrong way, right? And how do you tell a child that? I think you have to somehow convey this is actually more complicated than than it, it appears to be on the surface and people have different circumstances and people like when you take that into consideration it's i think the the goal in trying to make your child more socially sensitive is is sort of pointing out 
that, that they can sort of be more attuned to the situation rather than putting the emphasis on the secrecy, putting the emphasis on the actual social skill you're trying to help them build. So well said. Just attune them to the circumstance and the social situation so that they can have perspective, some perspective taking skills and make choices about what they do reveal based on the other person's lived experience, which is different than secret keeping. It's a social skill. But I guess it's just a matter of being extremely clear and leaving some space for your child to make the decision. Despite that, I'm going to disclose this information and then they will learn or not learn whether or not it was Mm off-putting. I know you do address the developmental and relational aspects of secrets and parenting in your book. Can you give us a high-level summary (laughs) of what parents can look forward to thinking about? So the very beginning of this path to secrecy that we all arrive at well before our teenage years is the first thing is developing the cognitive capacity to think about other people's minds and what information is in those those heads and what information is not. As soon as children understand that they have these experiences that if someone wasn't there to see it happen, nobody else knows about it unless they tell them. That's this milestone of thinking about what other people's minds are not aware of. And as soon as children get good at that and they start being able to keep secrets in their early years, it's it's the stuff that we all remember. You know, it's things like wetting the bed and wetting their pants and, you know, may- mischief and small trouble. You know, they might keep secrets to try to protect those things. And, you know, that's usually not a problem in their childhood years. But there's also this other this other aspect of secrecy that comes up where as soon as children start learning how to really keep secrets, you know, how to speak more competently about a secret, for example, rather than blaming a ghost on the broken vase, blaming the cat, you know, they get a little bit a little bit better at keeping their secrets at that same time. It's not, it's not quite as uh, obvious. Right. So so they get their, their, their mind is sharper and it's reasoning about other people's minds in a much more competent way. And so they know more what's the right way, what's the right thing to say to keep a secret. And while that does eventually become harmful in in adolescence when they're keeping secret struggles and things like that, even though that does sort of set us on this unhelpful path, there is this other thing that's happening at the same time where as soon as children learn that they have an inner, inner world known only to them unless shared, they selectively share that world with other people. Um, if you ask a child what makes someone a best friend, they'll say, a best friend is someone you can tell your secrets to. They'll they'll see secrecy as intimately linked with friendship and, and sharing secrets with each other. And as adults, we understand that's something we can do too, but I think we often forget that. It's much more easier to see in, in their younger years before they hit their teenage years that secrets are these special things that we can share with special people. Right. And understand distinguishing between those good secrets and bad secrets. Right. And it all maps developmentally. So, so like the first part of this, just to give an age range, you're talking about theory of mind. Like that's the developmental moment, I imagine. Yeah. And so you can, where I imagine what another per that, that another person has a different perspective and that, you know, happens around age four. Yeah, where at that point they can even like speak about others' minds competently. In younger years, they show hints of it, but they can't quite articulate it. But by four and certainly by five, they're they're getting to the point where not only do they have theory of mind and not only are they able to understand when another mind believes something that is not true, they understand that someone can hold a false belief. But also around this same time, in addition to getting better at thinking about other people's minds, they get better at thinking about their own minds. And this is really important in terms of things like forming an identity and forming a life story. They start paying more attention to their experiences and their inner experiences of these things as they're unfolding and who was or wasn't there to see it happen. And so this becomes also an active ingredient for understanding 
you know, what makes something a secret that you want to keep versus something you should, you should reveal this understanding of, of there's this thing in your mind that you're not sharing with other people and that's going to have consequences. So cool. (laughs) And it's also, you know, around the same time you might get your first lie that, you know, I always do try to cheer people up, but I think you did allude to this, which is there is on a good, the good side of it is like, there's huge cognitive changes that have to occur. So much cognitive growth in order to do all of this. So that's the upside. And then of course the downside is that now you have to do a lot of work to try to cultivate that nuanced understanding of appropriate sharing and lies and secrets and separating those, those from each other and good and all of that, (laughs) all by adolescence so that good decisions are made. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks. 